Hello and welcome to episode 232 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Hey Shane. What's up, Stanislav? Nice hat. It's bright and early. Bright and early here in Denver. Mm. So it's seven hours ahead for you, so that puts it at 2 p.m.? That's right. That's right. This I, math I got going. Or uh, uh, fourteen thousand. Thank you. Fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping it fourteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, I've had a day. I've had a day. We watched some Bluey. We had some oatmeal. We went to the park. We went grocery shopping. I had lunch. I watched a little bit of Mission Impossible Five. Yeah. Am I five? Here's my day. I woke up. I put on a hat. Get it together. I woke up. I put on a hat. David. Same. I mean, I can't believe I I, I I I must be so tired from the Renaissance Fair yesterday because I slept so late today, so so late. Now, two questions, David. Question of the first: Did you eat a turkey leg? We opted for no turkey leg, as it turned out. We were about to get it, and then we ended up deciding that it was too hot out for turkey legs, and the mm. line was too long. They should sell cold turkey legs, like like lunch meat. Yeah, they should. Question of the second: Did you pay that man to make fun of you? In a funny renaissance way. The tomato guy. The guy who gets hit with tomatoes? Yeah. No, we did not. But we did go to the mud show. Have you <laughs> seen the mud show? It's... <laughs> it doesn't sound very family friendly. It's not very family friendly. No, I bet not. Um, yeah, but they they enjoyed it. They, we watched a guy eat mud at the end. Oh, it was, no. It was, uh, it was fun, you know? We did the jousting and we did the mud show. And that's about all you can fit into about five hours of the renaissance fair, as it turns out. Five hours? Hey, my friends, before we move on to the topics of this week's show, I want to talk about our latest sponsor, Heavy Play, new card gaming accessory brand. It'll improve your gameplay and your game day. So what I like about the Playmats deck boxes, card sleeves, things like that, um, the enhanced ergonomics, the mobility, and the protection. One, two, three, right? So what I like about it is the Equip Mag system. It has all these strong magnets on all the products, and it lets you snap things together. You magnetically attach your dice boxes, your decks, uh, your deck boxes to your playmat, to each other, and you can carry all your gaming gear in a single hand in that way. These are shipping. We have seen people in our Discord, get their uh, Heavy Play products from the Kickstarter. They're coming soon to your LGS. Oh, yes. I have a shipping notification that mine is in Carol Stream, which means it's at the big processing, uh, mail processing facility out by where I live. So I probably will get it tomorrow or maybe the next day. Sweet. You can use code the Dive Down 2023 for 10% off your first order at heavyplay.com. So go for it. I think it's cool. I like the stuff. But Stan, what's on this week's show? And I'm only asking you that because I have no idea what you intend on talking about for this week's show. Oh, yeah. I, Give us some I, hints. I, I, I didn't mean to keep it secret. I actually I wrote my show notes by you're, hand. You're going to wing it. Great. Now, the, the listeners can't see those notes. High level, what is this episode going to be about? On this week's show, we're talking about Modern, the format that we love to play, and our experience playing more decks with Lord of the Rings cards, decks that have caught our fancy recently decks that have maybe done well in results, ones that we want to explore for the culture, for science, for our little community. So we're going to talk about what we played, what we played against, and try to understand how this format continues to evolve as we play it too. 
especially with the Pro Tour coming up in a mere two weeks from recording time. I guess it's a week away from release date of the show, but maybe we can get a little deeper into what type of technology or decks or strategies people might expect from the biggest modern tournament in literal years. Yeah, yeah. And that'll be next week's show where we dive deep into the Pro Tour. But this week, let's talk about just what we had fun playing. Why don't we tell people the decks we played? Let's not keep it a secret. Put it here in the intro so we hook them so they stay for the rest of the show. Shane, what did you play? I went old school. I played Green Tron. Mm-hmm. I, I, played, I played Green Tron, but it adds a card. Yep, perfect. And I'll, have, I'll have you guess what that card is. Okay. Stan, what did you play? I went new school. Or what do you want to talk about? Okay. I played Black Tron. Also known as Mono Black Coffers. Mm-hmm. It's an up-and-comer. I forgot about this. That's right. You told me this in Discord, and it left my brain after you mentioned it. You did it. I love I when played, that happens, Dave. When the like, yeah, like most things you. Stan talks about, really. Right. <laughs> I played uh, No School, I guess I would say. And I played um, the Talisker Blue-Black Control List that has been floating wow. around on on Twitter uh, that has unexpectedly, I think, gone Twitter viral. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, blue-black control in my modern. Believe it. Yeah, when I when I saw you say you were playing this, I was like, does Dave like decks like these? But apparently, yes. You know, I do. But first, some housekeeping. No new patrons, no increased tiers this week, but we do have a new review from Mikorgier. My courgette, my courgette, who says we're good stuff, and I agree. <laughs> in fact, Perfect. my courgette says that we offer the best in men's grooming reviews, and uh, you know, in particular, our breakdowns of soaps and shaving creams. Now, I will correct my courgette. Not a single shaving cream has been reviewed. Shaving soaps, on the other hand, you bet your oh, bottom yeah. dollar. Good point. I can't tell this is an ironic review or like a sarcastic review, but they wouldn't give us five stars if they were being sarcastic, I guess. I, I think the kids would call this incredibly based. Is that right? <laughs> is this review well, based? Is we're that what that based. Is? We're, we're based. No, they aren't they for giving us this perhaps, review that we can't we tell can whether it's ironic or not. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I got to tell you, uh, just as a quick aside, I, at lunch, where we sat at long tables at the Renaissance Fair, I was sitting next to a group of young, younger gentlemen, and I heard yeah. them say the word based like five times. And I leaned really? over to them at the end of my eating time, and I said, <laughs> hi, I'm a dad who, has, who talks to younger people in a Discord quite often. Can you help me understand what based means? And they were like, they were stunned, obviously. And my wife was like, oh, my God. And they, they all let me know that that was pretty cringe. And I, I don't know how all these things are related to each other, but I think they are. Were they like low-key, Dad? Yeah, they were like low-key cringe. Uh, if you'd like to support us uh, so that we can go out into the world and have embarrassing moments like that, still, uh, check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thedivedown. Uh, check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. These are all places that you can direct us or, uh, support us directly or indirectly. And then, you know, here come the codes. We are partners with Mana Traders, as you know. If you want to rent some cards on Mana Traders uh, for Magic Online, use code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 10% off your first two months. If you like any of the decks that we're talking about today, the best way to try out new decks with Lord of the Rings cards, including the One Ring, which is a hot commodity, but it is available on Mana Traders. You got to use Mana Traders to rent cards. It's, It's the easiest way to try new decks, especially when modern is so hot as it is right now. 
You can also go to Barrister Man and check out some of those products that my Coristhiazide was talking about in the review previously. That is BarristerMan.com. The dive down M23 will get you 15% off your first order. Is that right? Still 15? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then finally, if you want to buy some cards, just this is just to help you out. This isn't even an ad for anything that's helping us. But if you want 8% off of buying paper magic cards, go to Nerd Rage Gaming. Use code DIVE8 to help support people who put on a good tournament series here in the Midwest. And now the time has come to talk about these weird decks that we played in Modern this week. We all went big this week. Am I right? These are all, all right. kind of like big decks. Kind of, yeah. For sure. I mean, I think Stanislav's might be the biggest. Yeah. Why don't we go in order of bigness? Stan, would you like to talk about... I'm curious about Mono Black Coffers. Would you like to talk about Coffers first? Oh, oh sure. I'd be happy to. Because I actually have a little bit of intro all about big mana. All right. Bigness as a concept. Turns out everything's falling. Into, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah. Sometimes big things can be good. So Mono Black Coffers is a deck that has existed since before Lord of the Rings. It was technically born after MH2 because Cabal Coffers was added to the format. And for a long time, it was it was a pretty fringe strategy. I would run into it from time to time, but never took it particularly seriously. I think it was kind of an aspiring spike thing right like he played it on stream a few times around the mh2 and i think it kind of popped in and out of his stream occasionally here and there but am i am i right in that anybody else remember that i think attributing a new deck to aspiring spike like 75 percent of the time you'll probably be correct right <laughs> yeah i don't know if he was the first one to try it but i do think he had it on stream a few times back at the back at the time yeah and people have been iterating on it a lot since Lord of the Rings came out, basically by jamming some cards into it, including the One Ring. So Stanislav, I had to look up Cabal Coffers. Why? Yeah. Right? Well, I I don't know it. What's wrong with you? I know it's an old card, but like it's it it it's before I started, and I don't play Commander, and so it's what it's it's two tap add black for each swamp you control. Mm -hmm. So it's what just like a big mana engine for yes. black. Yes. That's that's exactly what it is. Okay. This is a classic card, and this card was uh, a riff off of a sort of a riff off of an earlier card called Lake of the Dead that was in Alliances that would let you also use lands to be able to get uh, a bunch of mana. I'm going to double check Lake of the Dead just so yeah, I don't using forget. lands to get mana. That's weird. Yeah. So Lake of the Dead would let you tap to sacrifice a swamp to add black, 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 black. To your mana pool it was a different Ooh. vibe but it was the same type of thing where it's like i'm going to give you extra mana for having swamps to control this card in torment when it was printed there was a whole deck around this card of course at the time this was an uncommon at the time that it was printed so it's one of these like 20 dollars wow. uncommons from old magic cards it's now a mythic i believe in modern mm -hmm. horizons yeah it's a no. mythic like uh, because force, it's a commander force card will originally an uncommon yes force of will was an uncommon now the concept of uncommons in alliances was kind of different because there were really only commons and two varieties of uncommons in in alliances so packs were different then but Torment huh. is from a later time when packs were more like to what they're more similar to what they're like now. Of course, there were no mythics then. But anyway, yes. little history lesson yes. for you. Yeah. Yes. Sorry Mom. for stealing your your uh, your momentum there, Stanislav. I just wanted to remind people what Cabal Covers even did. It seems kind of important. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And and 
just to set the stage a little bit more, people have been trying different builds of the Cabal Coffers deck. And the one I have been playing is um, a list that Dreams of Ashiok reached 15th place with mm-hmm. in the July 14th Modern Challenge. The exact same deck made 21st place by Eggy Benny in the same challenge. So I just happened to see that these two decks did well in the same challenge and they were identical. I can only presume that these two players knew one another and, and shared the same deck list. But it looked really clean, so that's the one I played. Some of the different iterations that are happening in Cabal Coffers these days that I did not do were things like Expedition Map, Profane Tutor, or um, Orcish Bowmasters. None of those cards were in my deck. My version was four Shielded, four Karn, a bunch of mid-range cards that I'll talk about, four Relic, three One Ring, and then the and 27 lands, including four Cabal Coffers, four Urberg, Eight Field of Ruin, a bunch of Swamp, and a Castle Lockthorn. Eight Field of Ruin. Want to explain that yeah. one? <laughs> well, you, you got the four field, and then you got four Demolition Field, which is it's mm. the same card. What? I didn't know they made a. I didn't know they made a redundant Field of Ruin. They did. Yeah. So this one, um, this one is different in that it does not force your opponent to search their library. Oh no! So people think of Demolition Field as the fixed Force of Ruin, kind of. That's funny. That's funny. In any case, let's talk about it. Coffers is, as we've sort of hinted, a big mana deck. But unlike Amulet, which is big mana combo, or Tron, which I would categorize as like big mana control, this is big mana mid-range. And it plays... Really? Yeah. Yeah. But there's like two creatures. There's there's one creature. It's Shieldred. Oh, okay. So big mana mid-range with one creature. Let's talk a little more about that concept. Why does a creature determine whether or not this deck is mid-range? I, you guys have clearly stumbled over this concept on its well, face. Like, mid-range to me involves the ability to be aggressive, the ability to be slightly aggressive towards more controlling decks or the ability to control more aggressive decks. I don't see how this this deck in in my in by looking at it, it does not mm-hmm. look like a deck that could go under um, some more controlling decks. It looks like a deck that's just trying to go over the top eventually, like Tron or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is trying to go over the top. And it's funny you should say that about control because one of my losses in my league was to Jeskai Walkers. Though I timed out and I took a game, so maybe with more time I actually could have won that one, but. The reason I look at this, yeah, is I mean, I know I don't want to get in the weeds on like definitions yeah. or anything like that, but so like, how does this deck like, how does this deck work, Stan? Like, what are you trying to do yeah. with it? Yeah. So the deck has two primary win cons. The most effective and the most consistent of them is Karn, the Great Creator. Good card. Yeah, it opens up a variety of both proactive and reactive options based on the texture of the game. So it lets you close out with things like Worm Coil, Cityscape Leveler, Walking Ballista, or Sundering Titan. The other occasional win condition is Shieldred, and though she is arguably more vulnerable in the modern metagame. I found that certain matchups, including especially Burn, but other aggro decks in general, she can just win the game by herself by just sitting around. And, and the fact that she stabilizes and, and just essentially just takes over. And then she does also combo very, very nicely with the One Ring in particular. I find that if you have both of them online cooking simultaneously it's kind of just hard to win from that position hard, hard, to, hard lose. to lose from that yeah. position yeah. yeah it's really funny so i'm looking at your deck and it's a funny the more that i look at the decks that we've all played this week there's kind of an interesting overlap of the cards that are in the decks that we have all of the decks that we played this week have the one ring my deck has shieldred and yours deck has yours has shieldred as well shane's has karn and you have karn as well so we have a couple of karn decks a couple of shieldred decks but all one ring decks we're talking about this week 
Hmm. Yeah, play play the good cards, Dave. Hey, I I gotta say I had a good amount written about Shieldred for my for the blue blueback control list, but I totally feel the same way, Stan. Where it was like it stops aggressive decks. It's actually a threat that is not that easy to kill in modern, just because of the removal that people are generally packing, or the right. fact that you can you know wait it out a little bit and hope that somebody doesn't you know whatever you can try to wait it out a little bit and play something that has five toughness and then you know against the ring people take damage extra damage when they draw cards off of it and you gain life when you draw cards off of your ring and that stabilized me a couple of games that i had where i had children in the ring out at the same time when i was at like three life and then i would i would and had like four counters on the ring and then i top deck a shieldred play it and gain eight you know yes i mean or gain 10 yeah. immediately because i drop it and then add a counter <laughs> and gain 10. Right. Right. I think it's important to note that she gains you life more rapidly than the one ring drains you of life. She she gains right. you twice as much life than it than it drains you. Yeah, and I think maybe it's fortunate that I did not play against Unholy Heat at any point, and I did not play yeah. against Solitude. And I think either of those cards would probably make Shieldred much more vulnerable, at least in my league. But um, she basically stuck around anytime i cast her which was yeah i mean terminate and fatal push are still things as well but it's it's still Fair. this is a good card you know yeah. i think this is a yeah, good card I, that can have a home in modern after after this weekend i thought that yeah and and i guess fury with you know undying malice or whatever can also answer shieldred so i did not play against scam for that matter so let's talk about big mana as a concept right the thing about this deck that separates it from the other big mana decks that i named at least and what I think makes it a mid-range strategy, but perhaps I'll feel differently after our conversation, is that your early turns are not defined by developing resources the way they are in Tron or Amulet. Your early turns are very much defined by things like Blood Chief's Thirst, Fatal Push, um, and post-board Thoughtseize. And it's more about keeping the game sort of slow down and under your control more than anything before you truly turn the corner on turn four and then you start to play your threats and your threats are shieldred the one ring karn the great creator so for my money i would call that a control deck yeah i mean you said under your control for, for what like, it's worth it seems on the nose and, but i do think your point your point still stands that this is different than tron because Tron spends its time ramping and doing things that manipulate its mana base. Get to Tron. Right. Get to and Tron. I, I do think that's an important distinction, Stan. I just think that is more indica indicative of a deck that I would call control deck because it's exactly the same plan that the deck I played this week uses as well. And I would definitely call my list a control list as well. Yeah. I mean, this has, this has what, like. It has 12 main board, 12 removal spells. 14 if you count wipe. damnation, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That seems okay. But anyway, not not to like split split hairs, but I think it's important. It's 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 a good point still that this is different from other big mana decks because oh, we're yeah, not, a lot more interaction. We're it's all interaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's so much. It, it's built in such a way sir, with its interaction that it almost doesn't need the big mana to function. The big mana is there to sort of escalate your explosiveness, but you can still play and have a cohesive strategy just by getting to four mana and doing Karn things to slow down the game, doing Shieldred, doing the one ring. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's really interesting on that point about this deck is like, there is no way to search up a Cabal Coffers in this deck. 
the only way to search up Cabal Coffers in this deck is to use the one ring to draw extra cards. Is that is that fair? That's and the thing that's right. extremely wild to me about it is like, this is a deck that has Karn the Great Creator in it. There's not even an expedition map in the sideboard to be like, I really want a Coffers right now. I'm going to use Karn to get an expedition map to go get a Coffers. We're not even playing that. Like, it's just a Karn package. Yeah. You do have some other draw abilities beyond the one ring it's playing mm -hmm. four knight's whisper which draws you cards and it's playing four relic of progenitus which is more about drawing cards than it is about graveyard hate yeah i was gonna ask like what your general thoughts about relic were besides just being sort of like main deck card draw because green tron has ran some number of relics for a while and i ran three in my deck and like ultimately it's like it's just sort of like card draw with potential gravy, where it's like, yeah, I guess like in a pinch, it has you know main deck graveyard hate, but I didn't know if you had any greater thoughts on it than than that as well. That's exactly it. There were a couple games where I had some cool relic of progenitus to set up Karn targets, which was kind of nice. Um, but otherwise, mm -hmm. I mean, it does exact it does exactly what's on the card, and I didn't play against Living End, so. I didn't have to mulligan aggressively towards Relic, where it is a much more matchup-defining card. But here, similar to Mono Green Tron, it's just a little piece of utility that you're using it to draw cards in Colorless, and if you happen to play against a Graveyard deck, all the better. So tell us about pl actually playing this deck some. I loved it. I loved playing this deck. It was a little bit of a rocky start in my league. I, I, lost it. I timed out against Jeskai Walkers because this deck is really good at spinning its wheels when you have a lot of mana and a Karn out. And if you don't focus on closing out the game, you'll just find ways to spend mana without actually doing anything. And then I also lost game two or match two against Amulet Titan. They just bulldozed me. I it, It's hard to interact with a resolved Primeval Titan at instant speed. You pretty much have to have big mana to answer with a March of Wretched Sorrow at instant right. speed. Or, or a or, bunch of cards to pitch. It's my yeah. favorite Rapture song. Yeah. Yeah. March of Wretched Sorrow. I don't know Rapture, except the Blondie song. In that match, I probably also misplayed a little bit by not carning for Ensnaring Bridge, but I was still getting to know the deck. I rallied after that. I beat Scapeshift, then I beat Mono Bluetron, and then I beat Burn. And Burn was actually the scariest of them, because that's the one that threatens to go under you and threatens to exploit the cost of playing the One Ring, if there is one. But that's where the shield drip plus one ring combo proved to me that just burn doesn't really stand a chance if you have those and, two you cards know, online at the same time. Eight main deck single mana removal spells, of course, helps helps in that matchup yes. a little bit yes. too. And, and March of Wretched, Wretched Sorrow helps a ton because... So let's read this card. I don't know if we've ever talked about it before. It's from Neon Dynasty. It's X black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast the spell, you may exile any number of black cards from your hand, and this spell costs two generic less to cast for each card exiled this way. March deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. So the cool thing about yeah. this, plus something like Coffers, is that you can generate a ton of black mana, dump it into March kill a goblin guide for whatever, or whatever but by doing 10 damage to it and then gaining 10 life anyway yeah i actually had one of these in the deck i was playing too stan by the way so in, yeah this card was really cool these decks cool. are are very close to each other i think in a weird way um another interesting thing about cabal coffers that we didn't mention while reading it or we didn't explicitly mention it's not legendary so you are playing for urborg you never want to 
play more than one, you are happy to play as many Cabal as you can find. Because once you have two Cabal on the board, you're generating like 20 mana easily. Perhaps in that regard, it can actually yeah. produce more mana than, than regular Tron. It's probably like a steeper curve, right? Where it's like the low end is lower than Tron, but the, but the high end is way higher. Uh, I, I'm, I'm coming to some questions here, Stan. And I, don't, I hope I'm not rushing you through this or getting to later parts of, of your conversation here. But like, so you make a ton of mana with Cabal yes. Coffers, right? You draw a bunch of cards with the yeah. One Ring and Knight's Whisper. But the main deck of this deck does not look like stuff I would want to draw a lot of. Like what I want to do in this deck is get to Karn, yeah, have a bunch of mana, and then use my wishboard. But you can't like draw into like three or four threats in the same turn and then like deploy them to the board. So like that's kind of interesting to me. Is like you know maybe you could play like two Karns a turn. Like you drop one Karn, you draw into another Karn, you do that, and you get like two beefers out of your wishboard. But that seems like a less frequent occurrence then like you know you're not gonna in this deck like you're not drawing oh a worm coil engine add a cityscape lever leveler and you know something else ridiculous and then like just presenting such incredible threats that your opponent's like i I gotta concede Mm -hmm. is that true or not true i think it's true but i i if all you're saying is that you can't like draw and deploy multiple threats in the same turn yes that's essentially true unless you consider the one ring a threat which i think it kind of is in that it's the threat of of burying your opponent in cards and options sure yeah like they're ne- they're never coming back from you having like three removal spells and a board wipe and things like that yeah yeah i mean yeah this deck is basically is the primary way, way that you win and close out a game here is like i control it and then eventually i'm going to get karn i'm just going to kill you with walking ballista like is that just what every most games boil down to yeah oh i definitely had a walking bullet a big walking ballista kill where i dumped 20 mana into it that was really funny um i've had one where i had to play a cityscape leveler and a worm coil engine probably i probably should have gotten the walking ballista and i just didn't think to um maybe i needed the the uh the lifelink on the worm coil and the cast trigger on the cityscape leveler I'm sure I definitely missed a number of uh, my own walking ballista kills when I was just like, oh, Cityscape level looks pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I think, Shane, to your point, the thing about Karn, at least in this deck, because I am playing a mid-range or control strategy the first karn is not playing a mid-range strategy stan i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hit you back with that it is a control you are playing a control strategy here this is a textbook control control strategy i think textbook it doesn't play i think this is textbook i I lost my train of thought (laughs) i i had something for it oh yeah karn so the first karn isn't usually there to win you the game it's to help stabilize still because i think Maybe it's the matchups, or maybe it's the nature of modern right now. Just like having a couple fatal push into a Karn isn't actually enough. Like mm-hmm. your opponents are still playing very powerful cards. So that first Karn is usually about grabbing something like the Stone Brain, or grabbing a Liquid Metal Coating, or or something to really respond to what your opponents are doing. And it's usually either that Karn left unchecked, or the follow up Karn that you're using to eventually win the game. Yeah, I love that you said I. If I'm playing mid range or control, and my goal is to stabilize, was the next <laughs> the next thing you said? <laughs> that's that's control. You're talk. You're even talking control talk. 
I don't think you know what you're talking about, David. Uh, so <laughs> I did learn a couple things about Karn and liquid metal coating in this deck that I'd never thought about because I don't think I've ever had to, but liquid metal coating plus Karn plus removal spells just get you out of so many sticky situations. My opponents loved playing Pithing Needle against my one ring. They, every Pithing Needle only names the one ring. It's like Karn doesn't exist, which I think is crazy. I, I, I think people are living in a little bit too much fear of the one ring. If... If you really should be naming Karn a lot more, I, yeah, I really do. I really do think that. So, um, but yeah, like you just grab a liquid metal coating, you're eventually going to draw into a fatal push or some other removal spell, and Karn makes it possible to just like destroy things by making it into an artifact with liquid metal coating, checking it up on Karn, it's a two or three drop or whatever it is, and then you point yeah. a fatal push at it. So, yeah, I thought so that you was turn a really it cool into that, a creature, yeah. Correct, to be clear, correct. yeah. I, I thought that was a cool utilization that I've never experienced in a previous Karn deck. Yeah. Yeah, have you played a lot of Karn decks, by the way, Stan? Like, have you played a lot of Wishboard, Karn-style stuff? I Mono Green Tron was the one I played the most, because I, I owned Mono Green Tron for a while. I sold out of it oh, recently, yeah. actually. What? Um, and then there was a minute That's not where... not worth it. Well, I tried to sell into the hype. Um, there was also a, a period where... Ponza was playing Karn. It didn't last very long, but you know there were some liquid metal shenanigans then too. Wasn't sure. there also after MH two there was like the eight liquid metal coating deck because yeah. there was there was that liquid metal necklace or whatever. It was. Liquid metal toke, right? Isn't it called some? Was a weird yeah. word for a necklace? Yeah, I I think I played that for a sleep believe heave many moons ago. Those are right. the days. All right, so we've been going deep on this deck. What 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 yeah. other thoughts do you have here, Stan? So I, I'm on my last page of, of handwritten notes. Let's talk a little bit about its position in the metagame and like whether or not we might actually see it in the Pro Tour. Because okay. I, 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 I think there's an argument for it because of how it can play against some of the, like, the big role players in the format right now. So against one ring decks, you have Karn. Like Karn is fantastic against the one ring, mm -hmm. period. As well as Shieldred. So those two cards... Almost remind me of like once upon a time playing Blood Moon plus Ashiok against Amulet Titan, mm -hmm. where you know you play Blood Moon and Ashiok against Ash and Ashiok against Titan. That deck just completely shuts down. And Karn plus Shieldred against the One Ring is like even if you draw one of those two pieces, it, it becomes a big problem for the One Ring deck. If you draw both of those pieces, I think you end up just taking over the game on the spot. Okay, and you're playing seven One Rings. Three main plus four Karn and one more in the sideboard. So finding a one ring is, is very easy if if that's what the game happens to be about. Yep. And plus one ring is just like so good at drawing you into your inevitability, drawing you into a Karn, finding you answers, finding you win conditions, finding you more Cabal coffers to like generate a ton of mana to 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 create inevitability. So against the one ring deck, like if you're worried about the one ring specifically as a card and you're trying to find a way to to beat him. You do have to join them in this regard, but I think this is a great way to to kind of join them while targeting them as well. Against Living End, which I think we would agree is still a pretty important format player. You have Thor, four post-board Thoughtseize, which are pretty good. You have four main deck Relic of Progenitus, which are very good. And you also have a couple Damnation, which are a decent way to stabilize against a Resolved Living End if you have the time to do that. Not to mention you have Karn plus Ensnaring Bridge to kind of slow them down if they don't grief or force negation, either of those two halves. I don't think they can really answer it in game one. 
it, unless they're playing a petty theft. But I don't think most living end decks are playing petty theft main right now. And then against the bow master deck. So this is scam. This is Yogmoth. Um, other random black X bowmaster decks. I think this is where the spot removal package really shines. You know, we talked about 14 if you're counting damnation. The Black March as well is really good at not just removing cards, but stabilizing your life total. I think this has like a lot of strong tools for what the format is about right now. And what we're seeing with the Coffers deck in general, based on how people are building it, sometimes with Expedition Maps, sometimes with Profane Tutor, and sometimes with Bowmaster even, like it is malleable. I don't know that there's necessarily a right or stock way to build it right now. Probably the same way there's no right or stock way to build a mid-ranger control deck in the format. So I'm not going to make lofty predictions about how well it's going to do in the Pro Tour, but I, I would not be surprised to see like a team pick this up as a strategy that they've tried to tune to the perceived metagame. Like if they're worried about you know a specific deck or a specific strategy taking over um, the event later this month. But yeah, I loved it. I, I would happily play this deck again. Um, one of the best sleeve leave heave. I don't know if that's what we're doing, but one of the best new decks I've tried for the pod in a long time. Sleeve it, believe it, heave What's it. What's the coolest thing you copied with Phyrexian Metamorph? I've never cast a Phyrexian Metamorph. That seems bonkers to me. I, I I would, that would be the first thing I would want to cast every time. Yeah. I want to copy someone else's one ring. I think that's why you wanna, play it. I think that is why you play it. It's to copy somebody else's ring. Yeah. But, but or like a Tron weird. creature. Yeah. What's weird to Something me, at least, I, you know, I, you have the one Metamorph in the deck. Like, why would not just fetch up the one ring? <laughs> like, if, if you're carning for Metamorph, you could just as easily carn for one ring. Because you can then carn for one ring later. That's that's part of why, I think. All right, Sans, sleeve believe he this for us, though. I mean, sleeve it. Sleeve it. Double sleeve it. These cards are expensive. $961 That's not what double top. sleeve means, but... Dave. But you, I like you, it. You, You've been you've been shooting your shots at me all day. Let's <laughs> let's see let's see you talk on a hit Magic the Gathering podcast eloquently and not make any miscategorizations of popular deck archetypes. Well, I was very nice at the beginning. It was just when you kept doubling down that I came back. <laughs> Check the tapes. I was extremely kind and calm. Mm. I think in terms of calmer than you are, that's that's me over here. Yeah. Not, not freaking out, feeling like there's there's four four drops. Yeah. Just go on. I like 7 a.m. Shane for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I would really like to go next because Please do. Stan's, Stan's deck and my deck are more similar to each other than I think I was anticipating after we after taking a look at this Cabal Coffers list. So the deck that I played was, all right, I was on Twitter the other day, as I oh, often no. am, unfortunately. Yes. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, Seems no, bad. Indeed. And I saw a retweet from friend of the show, Ryan Donkin of a deck list from well-known Magic Online player, Talisker. Talisker is, um, you know, somebody who's who's around. I, I saw them on their Twitter after this talking about how they they play a lot of, they top eight a lot of standard challenges right now, but I've, we've certainly talked about their decks and modern results before in the past. It, I don't know why this kind of stood out to me, but it was just kind of a normal-ish looking blue-black control list. And I guess I do know why it stood out to me. It was because it, it was playing two Lord of the Rings cards that I hadn't really thought about yet in Sauron's Ransom and Lorien Revealed, along with Bowmasters and the One Ring. So I'll talk a little bit more about everything that's in this list. But I kind of earmarked this and was like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. 
I played it in a practice room for a little bit. And then uh, the next day on Twitter, the list sort of like weirdly started going Twitter viral. Like I saw Chris Castor Rappel talk about grabbing it and playing it to a trophy. I saw someone named Galad on Twitter who said that they went 9-0 with the deck between a league and a prelim. I saw, I didn't mention that Talisker also went 9-1 between two different leagues at this list. And then finally, I was taking a look at it yesterday, and somebody named Jacob Pablo top Ford Saturday's challenge with this list. And I even managed to get a 4-1 with it in the friendly leagues, which should tell you something Whoa. about this control list. So if you're interested now, I'm gonna t- <laughs> this is a, a classic control list made up on the looks sim- more like mid-range to me dude. <clears throat> oh it does <laughs> oh sorry my bad looks more like mid-range yeah classic control list and this is it's built on a similar template kind of to the lit to the template that the co- the coffers deck is built on in a way right where it's interaction spells card advantage and a few closers like that's what that's what a control list really is when it comes down to it and so this list in particular is you know, it's blue black. I mean, hold on. I'm looking at this list. This list is actually more mid range than Stan's list. It, it has two drops. It is more mid range. It is more mid range than Stan's list, I will say. But this is a con- like, come on. This is a control deck. It's this got- is more like tempo, I think. Yo, come on. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. I, I love the chaos this week. It's very funny. So, look, here, here's what's in this deck. It's blue black, so you can probably fill it in once you once you know what it is. But you know, it's got interaction spells. So we've got removal, we've got fatal push. It's got a suite of kind of one ofs that supplement and support fatal push, including one blood chief's thirst. There's another fatal push in the sideboard. There's a go for the throat in the sideboard. There's a dress. There's a couple of dress downs in the seventy five. There's two shieldred's edict, which by the way, shieldred's edict. It's a pretty good card in this meta right now because there's a lot of decks that are coming at you with like one big thing, or you can you can actually use it to target stuff pretty well and a march of wretched sorrows which stan talked about this has it as a one of i didn't feel like it was great in this list but it's good as a pitch card because if there's one thing that the one ring likes it's pitch cards and we can talk about that a little bit more later you know devin talked about that a couple weeks ago it's got a bunch of counter spells in it those are also interaction you know really it's got four counter spells four force and negation main four subtlety and a spell pierce so it's got a pretty deep um kind of counter counter package in that sense and then it has card advantage in the main deck and that is lorian revealed which we'll talk about whether that's really a card advantage card or not sauron's ransom which is super interesting card and four of the one ring and then sauron's ransom sauron's ransom yeah i'm gonna read these cards in a second this closers and threats you know stan's deck had four karn and four uh, for Shieldred. This deck only has two Murktide, two Shieldred, and for the One Ring. Plus, you can kill people with Bowmasters, but Bowmasters are really interaction, honestly. Um, and that's what the that's what the deck is. And I'm going to read, take a minute now and read Sauron's Ransom, because I don't know if you guys have talked about this card yet. So this card, all the, the Lord of the Rings cards in here, I thought were pretty good, but there's really specific reasons why. But here's Sauron's Ransom. It's a rare from Lord of the Rings. It's a generic blue-black for an instant, and it says, choose an opponent. They look at the top four cards of your library and separate them into a face-down pile and a face-up pile. Put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. The ring tempts you. What do you, th- what do you think about instant speed three-mana factor fiction? Uh, Plus temptation. How, how'd you find it? Plus tempting. I found it decent. It's not amazing. I think it fills the same kind of role that Knight's Whisper fills in 
coffers. Like, you know, it's just a card that helps grease the wheels a little bit. I do think that I had a couple of moments with Sauron's Ransom. I mean, first off, it's an instant, which is really, really good because this deck actually plays much more at instant speed than it looks like it does because the Bowmasters, the counter spells, and the interaction are all um, mm-hmm. are all instant speed. And so having a card draw that is also instant speed is super helpful in the deck as well. Um, I think that, you know, it's just a divination, really. You know, it's an instant speed divination. Instant speed divinations can be good. The graveyard stuff doesn't do anything in this deck, but I got a lot of good piles out of this where I would choose, you know, someone would give me two cards face up that I was like, yeah, I'll just take these. But quite often, I found that almost everybody puts a bad pile <laughs> face up and puts a good pile face down and tries to get you to take the bad pile by putting the bad one face up. And so I just take the face down cards every time. And like almost every time I was, I, I, I think every time actually I cast it of the four or five times that I cast it, I was like, yep, got, got two amazing cards. Here we go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. perfect. So what, what, I, what should people be doing in that situation? Split up the, be- split up the best cards into two different piles. Yeah, just, just take your lumps. Like, just like be like, yeah, let's make, make the piles basically equal more or mm-hmm. less. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I thought the card was definitely good enough to be a player in a deck like this. Like, does everybody want a t- three mana divination? No. Me? no, very few decks in modern want that. But I think here it was fine. And then I want to read uh, Lorien Revealed as well. Yeah. <laughs> That'll take two seconds. It's going to take two seconds. Yeah. Lorian Revealed is three generic blue-blue for a sorcery that says draw three cards and it has island cycling one. So when we were talking about the living end card, the cards that have ended up in the living end, I think at one point I was like, where's the blue one? I think the reason mm-hmm. I didn't find it was because I was looking in creatures from Lord of the Rings for it. I didn't realize that the, I didn't even realize that this was a card, honestly, until I saw this deck list. So it's a spell. Something interesting about this spell, Shane, you, you might be interested in hearing this too. Yesterday's mm-hmm. modern challenge was mm-hmm. won by Teamer Rhinos playing Four of Lorien Revealed. Interesting. Wow. Yes. Really? Can I ask you a question? Was Rhinos also playing how many subtleties and how many force negations did it have main? Did it have any? Four of each. Four force negation. Four four subtleties and four force negations. Four per, subtleties per, main? Yes. Oh, subtle subtlety so, is so the business right now. So listen, that's what this card is for. Just just to be clear, like this card is not good because it's a five mana sorcery draw three. This card is oh, good really? because it yes, surprise. Although I did cast it for that one time. Like, I mean, it's nice to have a mana sink in a deck like this when you're late game and you're like, you know, I don't need my I don't have my ring or I want to try to find a ring, but I have a lot of mana. So I got a Lorian revealed and I no longer need a land. I'm gonna draw it. But what this card is for. Surprise, surprise, it's it's for something that can fix your mana or pitch to subtlety or force negation. That's mm-hmm. that's what I think that package is. And that's actually a really powerful part of this deck is the pitch card like enabled interaction early on. In my league, force negation didn't come up as something that I really ever needed. But you know, being able to force someone's ring on turn four after you played your own ring is pretty good. Being able to subtlety somebody's Merktide regents is good like those are the moments that i found it to be to be good and even being able to subtlety like somebody's grief when they try to scam you early on which is somewhat card you know it's not like a great card advantage wise play it's still pretty good because you don't lose the card you lose your you know you pitch they have to try the whole thing again in the future when maybe you have fatal push up or something like it just sets everything back a little bit 
And that's that's why I think Lorien Reveal turns out to actually be a pretty powerful card that I'm not surprised people are trying to play it in other... I don't know if this is the best deck or if this is really a tier deck or anything like that, but I do think that pa package of lots of pitch cards plus this spell is pretty good. And also amazing tech for uh, for Rhinos, which is it's it's interesting that you brought it up. Yeah, they're also playing two Commandeer in the okay. side this particular list, so just having you know, that many more pitch spells. For this is a wild list. No, Doesn't Commandeer Commandeer to take the ring? Yeah, yeah, that's that's why you play it. I mean, it takes anything, but yeah, yeah you play it to take the ring. Yeah, or Murktide, I guess, or something like that. Interesting it, it has to stuff. Non-creature spell, but. Yeah. Like oh, it's non creature. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So those are the new cards in this deck. And, you know, the way that it went with this deck for me. So I played against, um, I lost to Affinity, which I probably should have beat if I had played my Bowmasters at the right time. Didn't play it against uh, a Thought Monitor trigger. So I, I missed a Thought Monitor trigger where I could have just like completely cleared their board. You know, if they had, if I had played my Bowmaster against, I could have killed a whole bunch of X ones and stuff. And I just, I just was like sitting here being like, oh, this, these cards are cool, and just completely missed that that was the time to play my Bowmaster. But I did beat Scam Murktide, uh, a kind of a black white Scam deck that was doing stuff with Sam the Stouthearted. Um, and then I forget what the fourth, the fourth deck that I beat was, but I think it was something in the aggro space, if I remember right. All of this stuff to be said is all very cool but this deck really is all about just getting to the ring as fast as possible and using the ring to stabilize and and um draw a bunch of cards to be able to win from and you guys the ring is really messed up am i right we didn't even talk <laughs> yeah. about it too much in stan's stan's little breakdown because because it was sort of like taken as a given but this is the first time i've played with the ring and it was wild it's pretty good I had many people, as soon as I played one, they would go one turn and then they would scoop after I played the ring because they're just like, you know what? I'm done. But were they correct to do that? I don't know, but it's just what people are doing right, right. now, which is, is kind of fascinating. I did not experience that. I'll tell you that. I played a lot of yeah. one rings. I didn't have a lot of people like insta scoop. Same. Same. Yeah. They didn't scoop matches, but they scooped games. They were like, okay, we'll go on the next game. Um, the the I mean... While we're on this topic, the funniest thing I did have happen was like after refilling my hand a bit with a one ring and like kind of going through some initial back and forth with the scam opponent, it's like I held two ancient stirrings and maybe like an expedition map or something like that. Like I just had like a, a grip full of stuff that was going to going to win me the game and we were at parity otherwise and they had like one card left in hand. They thought seized me and scooped. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I, I'm not coming back from your ability to to win from here. Yeah, yeah. This is what I find is is happening a little bit, and it's it's a it's it's amazing at stabilizing. Right, you get that turn where you don't you maybe you don't have any mana up, but you have this. I'm I'm invulnerable to everything, but you still have pitch cards, so you can interact a little bit on in that way in this particular deck. Um, and then when it comes back, you can kind of do tricksy things to manipulate how much damage you're taking. You can draw into another ring to play another ring. You can gain more life off of Shieldred. You know, just all of the different things about the way that this works is, you know, really a powerful, powerful thing. And I was like, the, after I played this in practice a couple of times, I was like, I'm ready to try this in a league. And I was just like, 
super enjoying it. Like this appeals to all of the worst parts of my magic personality. Whereas like, all <laughs> I just want to do is like play the one ring and draw a bunch of cards. Like I just want to play the one ring. I'm just going to get to the one ring as fast as possible. This deck is sort of like the most absurd version of it too, because it also has a um, Minamo main. Oh yeah. You're in the, the Minamo base. thing. Yeah. So like there were a couple of times where like I had it up to, I had it up to four counters and I was like, okay, I'm going to draw five cards not get what I want, untap it with Minamo and tap it again and draw another six cards. So I draw like 11 cards in a turn to be able to find enough enough ammunition to, to like stabilize, play a threat, get out of there, all those things. Even with Shieldred, like Stan said, like the one thing that you can do is like, if you say tap the one ring to draw into your Shieldred, play your Shieldred, but you're going to die to the one ring trigger at the beginning of your next turn, you can tap the she'll you can tap the ring in response to the ring the damage counter damage effect going on the stack gain a bunch of life put another token on it then take the damage that you would have taken anyway that turn it's like <laughs> it's really there's all kinds of things that you can do to minimize the negative effects of this card and just go wild so i don't know i mean i really liked playing this deck i think that I feel like with the steam that people have been kind of gaining with it, that it's a it's a possible contender as well. I think that it's interesting in the sense that like the deck that you described, Stan, you know, feeling like it was kind of weak to Amulet Titan, for example. This deck, I'm sure, has different things that that deck is good against that this one's not against. But this one has two mana counterspell, so which is often a good thing against Titan. It has Dress Down, which is a good thing against Titan. So I think that this is one of those things where like this version of a ring control deck is better against certain portions of the metagame than the Mono Black Coffers version of a ring control deck is is against. Um, but it's certainly kind of like moving up this entire format to where all of a sudden uh, control decks are viable, I think, for real again, thanks to the ring. Uh, now the ring is in everything, so it's like, okay, <laughs> like maybe that's not a special quality, but right now it's interesting to have this portion of the meta a little more open than it has been before, maybe. It's wild what this format's become. It's we're, so we're, slow. We're, we're playing coffers, we're playing blue-black control piles... We're playing Tron again. What's going on with this world? I would give this deck a belief plus, by the way. I'm not ready to say sleeve yet, but I have all the cards for this deck, so I would be I would like play well, I don't have rings. I don't have four rings. Oh yeah, look at this paper. ring owner. Yeah, I have, I, have a, owner. I have a single ring, but I do have Shieldred. Um I would, I would play this deck sometime. Uh I'll have to check my bulk box and see how many I have. That is rare. Yeah, it's a rare. So amazing. It's also only a dollar rare, so it's, that one's not hard to get for now yeah the rush on Sauron's ransom yeah but i would i would give this a belief plus like let's see what ha what happens this is another deck that i wouldn't be surprised if some pros pick up and bring or some version of this deck because and say it with me you cannot stop people from playing control at the pro tour you cannot no, you stop people right. from playing control at yeah. the pro tour it's sunday morning that's my uh that's my sermon love it Gentlemen, let's take a quick break. Let's make this one. Let's make this one quick. Let's have a quick break. Get back in here because I gotta start talking about Green Tron. So stay with us. Stanislav, guys, I have a box. I hear you opening it. Get those opening sounds on mic. This is a this is an ASMR podcast after yeah, all. Yeah, it just has so many like international shipping stickers on do it. Do you have so Do you have scissors in the UK? Are they outlawed? No, they're outlawed. They call they call them cheeky sizz. 
people don't know this about Europe. You're not allowed to have dryers, refrigerators, scissors, a lot of like the things Americans take for granted. Air conditioning. We're not free. No AC. Oh. I saw just while we're waiting. There's there's people there's people claim, complaining on Twitter, guys. I don't know if you've heard. I saw people talking about how it takes forever to do checkout experiences at like bars in the U.S. And I I don't know. I don't know. What yeah, I don't heard. really care for that. Sanslav, what do you have in your box? All right. Oh, you, you know what I love about a Barrister Man box? It smells so good. To it does open. smell good. It smells so good. All right, we've got lavender interrupted okay. cologne. I talked about that last Ooh. week. It was really good. Yeah, oh, I can't wait. Good. Smell the bag. I'm going to wear this to work. People are going to be like, Oi, you. <laughs> you cheeky bugger. <laughs> you cheeky lavvy mate. You yeah. smell dead good. All right, we got some Presto Presto shaving soap. Yeah, did you get mm-hmm. Adagio? Because I, I, I talked about Presto last week. I did not talk about Adagio. I had that in, in the queue to open. Oh, let's, let's, open let's open some Adagio, Stanislav. Right, let's so let's simul open. Interesting. It's, it smells flowery. Yeah, very flowery. It's a sweet. Mm. But it's like it's like it's got like some. You can tell it has a little bit of like menthol, like coolness going on for like the summer because it's a summer scent, which is kind of cool. I like to I like to put a little on my gums. Stanislav, do you smell kiwi? I'm not trying to be weird. I smell like a kiwi thing going on here. Shane, that's very astute. I don't I don't think I would have called that, but now I can't not smell it. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think that the scent is inspired by New Zealand, but it is inspired by a different kind of new, and that's a New England summer. Oh. Vibrantly green and bright, landscapes of breathtaking biology and natural beauty will, as we know, the poets of hair care and shaving soaps. Last item in my box, lemon vervine soap. Okay, I got this as well, and I was gonna hope I was gonna open this, so let's do a simul smell on this one. Oh, I got oh, you can this really package. smell the vervine. <laughs> vervine. I, I'm excited to get some more BM soap. I ran out finally, and it's my personal favorite product is their body soaps. Yeah, it smells great. Yeah, it, it smells lemony, like lemon, but it's not too lemony, it's because the lemon is cut a little bit by like the herbal essences. Yeah, this is good. Um, I, I, I like all of the summer stuff going on right now because, like, it's you know very fresh, very kind of like wake you up type stuff, and I really appreciate that from Barrister Man. You know, America's going through a historic heat wave right now. You're probably smelling a little bit of body odor. Freshen <laughs> yourself up with some body soap, with some cologne. Make your 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 whiskers or whatever body part you shave. Make it s- smell good too with shaving soap with Barrister Man. If you want to save fifteen percent. Off of your first order, Barrister Man, use code the dive down M23, like Magic 23. And let's Will know that you came from our podcast and keep on smelling good. All right, y'all, we're back. And I I can okay, if if you're in a hurry. If you want to skip the next, what, 15, 20 minutes of this podcast, I can summarize it for you. Tron is good now. There you go. Tron's, Tron's back in ring form, and it's good. So there's, there's your there's your, 15, you know, your five-second summary of my 20-minute my spiel about Green Tron. Why was Tron not good? That's what I was actually trying to figure out. And I, I have an idea, but I'm curious if, if you have one, too. Well, okay, so... Long story short, I think, well, one, the meta is very different, right? So the meta is different. I think it was slightly more aggressive and uh, creativity was a thing. 
So those are all those are those are bad things. I think creativity being good is bad for Tron. I think the rise of scam, even though we're still in the rise of scam, is not good for Tron. And I think that largely that's it, right? I think it's like I don't think it's inherently great against like the Cascade decks. I don't think it's inherent it's it's bad against Burn. And Burn's always lurking. It's not amazing, I think, against Scam, but it certainly can beat Scam, you know, often. And it's not great against creativity. So if we're coming to the chase, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think like it can. I think it can shut down Hammer at certain times. But I think Hammer can definitely go under it for sure, right? So and and then so we're seeing some of those decks dip in popularity, and then we're seeing the rise of other decks that this deck kicks in the teeth. Like, you know, Omnath decks, like other controlling slash mid-rangey decks. I think it can put up a good fight against the, you know, Cascade decks. It can put up a good fight against the Scam decks. I And ultimately, what it's really doing is it's drawing more cards. And so, like, rather than, you know, you, you frequently start at, on the back foot with Tron because you mulligan to, like, four cards or something like that. And you're like, well, I have my path to Tron, and now I need something to do with this mana. And that's kind of always, like, the worst feeling with Tron is, like, I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm casting chromatic effects. I'm sacking them for green mana and crossing my fingers. And, oh, I got a Relic of Progenitus. Or something like that, right? And the one ring, as Dave mentioned earlier, and you mentioned, Stan, is just like, it's oh, it's weirdly a good card. Uh, and so you're just drawing a lot more, and you're getting to your good stuff. Whether that's Karn, or your Ulamogs, or your Cityscape Levelers, or your Worm Coil Engines, you, know, you just have a lot of fuel to spend that mana on. And that's good enough. Like, you know, if, if you're a long time listener to this pod, you know that I've played and liked green Tron in the past, but like, you know, I even have a mostly Russian one where like, and the pieces that aren't in Russian, I have in Japanese. And that's really, it, now it's out of date because like, there's all of the, there's the brothers war stuff I haven't kept up with. And because it's just, there hasn't been a really good reason to, right. It's like fewer people have been playing, the deck it hasn't been really keeping up with the rest of the metagame like the last things that this deck got were like Boseju and cityscape leveler and haywire might out of brothers war and that was like late 2022 which is amazing to say at this point so like it's not like tron has been doing anything really new for a long time but like tron's back now and so i wanted to investigate why it was back and how it felt to play. And it's really pretty much entirely because of the one ring. And like I said earlier, it's not just because the one ring is a card that makes the deck better, but it does is that the one ring has really shifted the metagame in such a way that Tron can perform really well now, I think. And not only does it just have like sort of a favorable metagame in general, I think that the one ring has shored up some of its weaknesses against decks that would prey on, prey on it, like more of the scam style, I think. I think it's stronger against scam than it has been in the past. I don't think it's particularly stronger against like aggressive decks, but that the one ring also weirdly helps against that because it gives you protection for a turn. Mm-hmm. And so like if there's one thing a deck like Tron has wanted, it's just like more cards in hand. And there's always, almost always, mana to like do something with those cards. And the One Ring is just like the best way to get cards these days in modern. And so Tron's going to play it. 
And not only can Tron play it in the main deck, of course, like you mentioned, Stan, like it has Khan the Great Creator, so you can tutor it from your wishboard. So like you really have seven copies of the card if you want. I will mention though that I never really got it out of my wishboard. Like I was just getting more impactful stuff. I was just getting more stuff. Like I suppose like if you find yourself in a pinch, like where you're like, I need to reset this thing or I'm going to die. Like then you can get it. I think it's two things. It's that. And it's also the, the, the fog effect. It's like, if you really need the, if you really need the fog effect this turn right now that you can do that instead and and of ensnaring bridge, it's not going to work. In that. Yeah, I don't for know if sure. this deck is running in Snary Bridge, but no, for sure was. it does. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's in the wishboard. I didn't grab it a lot, but it definitely like it's it's useful to be there. And so, like, here's here's a stat for y'all. Okay, since the release of the Lord of the Rings set, uh, MTGMeta.io states that Greentron has like a fifty six percent win rate, and okay, that is a really good win rate in general. But here's here's the comparison stat. From Jan 1 to June 15 of this year, ntgmeta.io says it had a 42.5% win rate across about 1,000 matches. That is a 14% delta. That is ridiculous. That is, that's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it, it is astounding to me. And so, like, you know, it's, it's easy to, of course, say, like, okay, it's the one ring. And, like, the deck plays it really well. It stops it pretty well with Karn the Great Creator. It makes your opponents one rings not really work. It makes you know our other artifact strategies not really work. The shape of the metagame in general, like I mentioned, is just conducive to like this big up arrow next to Green Tron because like Omnath control decks are popular and creativity is losing steam and burn is still pretty bad. And you know, like I said, you have to worry about scam stripping your path to Tron out of your hand. But then, like, if things go kind of your way, you do go over the top like you do any other mid-range deck against them. And so, like, I just think it's, like, a really prime time to dust off those Urzatron lands and just go to town. So, Tron, for years, as you said, hasn't had much change. Yeah. That's because there's a number of cards in the, these decks that people kind of think of as, like, they're almost like sacred cows, Right, I mean, like they're the really cards, good. The cards that are in this deck are the cards that are in Tron. So obviously, something had to leave this deck to be able to add the One Ring. Yes, Shane, yes. what Sacred Cow did we kill to put the One Ring in this deck? Well, Karn Liberated is gone. What? Karn Liberated is gone. Yeah, just gone. I mean, okay, there there are a couple different builds of this deck, and some of them run or seem like they're more Planeswalker heavy. And they still do have Karn Liberated. The most, the more successful ones, I think, seem to be running like five Planeswalkers, where it's just four Karn, the Great Creator, and like an Ugin or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, so yeah, coming I mean, Karn Liberated is just gone. And I guess the idea, anyway, I, I don't know what, what's 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 Karn Liberated good against. I guess. Well, that, and that's I think that's another thing that might be like part of this whole equation is like Karn Liberated. What did it do? It took car. It was kind. Of, it took cards away from people. Like it made them discard a card, or it exiled permanents. Right. It was board interaction. Like that's yeah. that's what Karn Liberated does. Right? Got rid of two lands. Got rid of two. Yes. A lot of times you would do that. Got rid of two lands. Play. The one ring slotting in for it 
stabilizes and gets you more resources in a way that Card Liberated never really had a chance to. Yeah. But this is the thing where I think people for a while have been saying part of the reason Tron is not good is because Card Liberated is not good, right? Sure. And so I think coming here now where we have there's a card that can slot in that's way more powerful for this card, that might be part of... I mean, we, we all know it's because of the One Ring, but it's also like that difference between those two cards and how good they are in the metagame that they are right now. It might mean that people should have gotten off of Karn Liberated a long time ago yeah. and found a different payoff instead. Yeah. But where we are today is more like, hey, this this is the big difference is that a card that we thought was the staple, like the card of the deck is no longer in the deck anymore. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, it's it's weird because one thing that Karn Liberated gave you was a seven mana play. And that means turn three, you did your thing. You have Tron. You could play Karn Liberated and immediately do something that was pretty powerful. And then you have a seven mana planeswalker on the board on turn three to Yeah, and usually with, with big tough with big uh, loyalty, right? Because yes. the exile a card from hand was a plus ability and blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's bonkers. But but and and so that was a weird thing, is because this deck, if you look at the list, there's actually a lot less to do on turn three in terms of for seven mana. Or even right. six mana, right? So, like, your turn three plays here after making Tron are frequently just, like, you know, a card in the Great Creator minusing getting something out of the board that's, like, two or three mana. Or you're setting up for your next turn. You don't really care if Karn the Great Creator even gets killed because you're, like, next turn I'm dropping a Sundering Titan. Right. I mean, is is this part of the story across modern in general right now is just that maybe turn four plays are more important than turn three plays right now? Because there's the ring, like there's all kinds of decks that are working towards turn four, turns five, and less decks that are working to put pressure on and do crazy things on turn three. Is that, do we think that might be true? Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if there are some decks, I think that still look at turn three is really important because they probably want to get under or you know, right. do something that's going to hurt. Like, of course, like Living End, or if you're still playing Rhinos, like turn three is huge. I think burned. for control decks, like depending on the, yeah, Burn, yeah. I mean, I want you dead by turn four. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I think that there's like, there's there's turn three, turn four are really critical. And I think turn three can be really important in this deck too, just by dropping a one ring because you're just, you're stymieing your opponent's turn three or turn four, right? Which right. can be really important. And... And then I think the the mix of threats being a little bit different is beneficial. Like you have a you know typically they're running some mix of Worm Coil Engine, Cityscape Leveler, Sundering Titan, and Ulamog as kind of like the creature main deck creature threats. And if you forget what Cityscape Leveler does, it's just an eight mana eight eight with trample. And when you cast it and when it attacks, you destroy you can't you destroy up to one target non land permanent, and then its opponent your opponent its controller creates a tapped power stone token and you can unearth the thing for eight if you're so yeah. inclined so it's just yeah. like this is a very good eight mana threat uh and so it's just like if you get to it and you cast it it's pretty good it's i mean it's potentially better than a worm coil engine it's probably better than a worm coil engine sundering titan is still absurd especially in this meta game when people are playing these multicolored decks like three four five colored decks even and like sundering titan just stole games multiple times for me depending on the matchup like you know i i think people might have forgot in the friendly leagues like i'm not critiquing my opponents here but like i'm i am saying that like they played a one ring when I, they knew i had a sundering titan in hand and then i just cast it and killed all their lands 
Yeah, so like maybe they might they not. Thought, have, they might have thought it was targeted. Yeah, they might have thought like it was like you know destroy opponents' lands or something like that, or targeted lands, or I don't know. Choose what that target they opponent. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was bonkers, and so and, and there were other times when Sundering Titan just like you know killed three or four lands and was ridiculous. So Sundering Titan's great too, and Ulamog of course is ridiculous. So it's just like there's, the threats are really good. You have a lot of mana. You have more time, right? Like that's. I think the real secret thing about the one ring is like, it's not only cards, it's time. And in a, in a game like magic in a format like modern in a deck like Tron time is a huge resource. And so like you're, you're spending four mana that you probably have in excess on turn three with this deck, if you're doing things right. And you are just doing a lot on that turn and then you start snowballing from that position because you're either getting more mana like because you get like another urza's tower or you then or you you get yourself time and cards which then you can just cast with all that pile of mana so it's just it's just a lot. Can I ask you a question about this list that I think is time and cards related that I would love for you to help Please. explain. This list that you played which is by Giona Kai from can I get, the can I guess what you're going to ask? Bologna. Yes, you can. It does not have uh, the the Tudor land, which which annoyed me. The uh, the Sanctum of Ugin. The Sanctum of Ugin. Yes. Actually, my my question is is about a land. Gemstone caverns. Is, why is this deck running a single gemstone caverns? Yes. Help know. me I understand what I, that's for. I would potentially cut it. I think it. I think it seriously might solely be <laughs> to let you cast Warping Whale on turn one on the draw. Like mm. I don't really know. Like I didn't like it very much. Okay. Um. I. I mean, maybe with more games, it would come into play more often. Like I really want a Sanctum of Ugin. Like I. Whenever. Like there was. There's a lot of times when you, sort of have extra, expedition maps late in the game, or like an extra, uh, Sylvan Scrying late in the game, and you're like, well, you know what would be really good here is a Sanctum of Ugin because I'm going to yeah. cast something and then I'm going to go, I want to go get something else. And then just right. like completely shut the door on my opponent. Yeah. And one of my least favorite cards out of Tron, by the way, is Sanctum of Ugin. <laughs> yes. I always know. I mean, it's one of those things that are like, I knew I was dead, but now I really know that I'm dead against Tron. Yeah. So like it might, I, it, you don't get that option here and I'm mildly surprised why I think like, I honestly might prefer Tupo Sages over like this first gemstone cavern. And because there's a lot of times when you want more than one. And so I don't know. I, I'm that's up for debate for me, that gemstone caverns inclusion. I don't think it's super common. Um, I, I was playing kind of the eight Oh and one list from uh, Bologna. And so I just wanted to run that one out and yeah, I don't know. I was not sold on the gemstone caverns. I will say. All right. But yeah, I mean, Stanislav, you have a question. Yeah, I want to talk about your matchups one more time. Did you play against any counter spells? Do you remember who you played against or, or which deck? Uh, I played against Four Color Omnath like really early on. So they have counter spells, right? Not always. Not really. Yeah. Some of them do, some of them don't. Yeah, I would I would agree with Stan. It's more not really than even sometimes. Yeah. What decks are playing counter spells these days? I play against Creativity, Mert- which Mertide. did have you know a bunch of spell pierce and stuff like that. Those were, that was a fun matchup. The creativity matchup was was cool. It, you know, there was a lot of like there was some fortunate stuff on my part where like I had both my warping whales pretty early like in one game, and so I was able to stop their creativity. And then they were playing like the Jund variant, and so I also hit a persist, and so like that really was not good for them. 
Mm-hmm. I think like warping whales mildly. I think I could see. I can see a world in which I have a warping whale on the sideboard or three main, and I go to like two relic main because mm-hmm. warping whale is really good in today's in today's metagame. I think. What, what did you lose to? So I lost to an interesting sort of mono, like red focused uh, Goblin Char Belcher deck. Uh-huh. When they, I mean, like I definitely had some games when I was lucky, and so like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, but like my my, my opponent uh, on game game two, basically I had an early Karn. And so they couldn't win through Charbelcher, and they basically like had like multiple rituals into a Fury, which killed my Karn into a uh, the seven mana thing. If you have four mana, the you know what I'm talking about like it ramps you from four to seven, and then they cast the Charbelcher and activate it like same turn. So like they Furied, Char like a uh, you know Charbeltered activated all in the same turn, which was 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 frustrating. Uh- Iron Crag feet. Iron Crag feet, and then and then yeah. game three, I was on the play. I had I, I had a path to turn three Tron. They killed me on turn two with a ritual ritual Iron Crag feet Char Belcher activated Char Belcher on turn two. So that was that was like, well, you did the thing, you did it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you drew it up. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that was like, the, but I think Char Belcher is a probably strong matchup against Tron. Like it, it's fast and like you still, I think you can go under what Tron is doing unless of course, like, you know, you don't have a way to kill the Karn. You know, they had blood moon because it was like this weird red focused kind of variant in the, in the, the friendly leagues. What else did I lose to? Oh, I lost to a really interesting and cool, like creature combo deck game one when they, they were doing, excuse me, round one, they were doing something with like, Pippin and Samwise and uh, like some other, it was, it was definitely like a brewish type deck where like they could sort of, instead of creating the tokens, they could create creatures that like had haste. And so that was, that was cool. The, they got games two and games three, they got Pithing Needles down naming uh, Oblivion Stone. And that's what I had played to the board and held in hand to, to wipe what they were doing. So that was not really useful for me. So that worked for them. Uh, that was, it was a cool deck though. But otherwise, like I was, you know, I went, I played a total of like seven games, excuse me, seven rounds. And I went five and two and I would definitely keep playing this deck. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm looking forward to finishing up the second league and having some more fun. But like, you know, it's just, it, it plays really well. Like I think, you know, having Karn in your deck, I don't think you talk too much about this, Dan, but, like, Karn the Great Creator is probably the best Planeswalker in the game. Like, it's just, like, it's such a clean, get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, for so many things, whether it's matchups, whether it's I got too many counters on my one ring, whether it's I need another fog, like you said, Dave, or I just need to, like, start getting bonkers threats, like, from, you know, the Wishboard... Like Sundering Titans bonkers, Ulamog is ridiculous. Like the the wishboard's just always so good. Like you have Soulless Jailer, you have Ensnaring Bridge, you have Stone Brain, you have Life Gain from like your Boulder Branch Golem. You have like the Anti Cascade Tech. It's like Karn is dumb. Like Karn is so good, and this is like you know finally uh, an environment in which like you can play a Karn deck. I think and and yeah. have have good luck. With I agree. It. Karn is dumb. Karn is dumb. So. Yeah, it's good. So, like, 
like I said, I mean, there's not a lot to do with seven mana in this deck, but maybe you don't need it because you just do something with four mana instead and like probably just play like a few chromatic effects and like an extra expedition map down. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's a strong deck. Deck feels good. Um, if it tells you anything, I'm planning on purchasing one rings and the brothers war cards I need to get this deck back into playable shape and paper, uh, Tron's back my friends for now. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, exactly. Sleeve believe Enjoy while it lasts. Green Tron. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Sleeve, sleeve it, baby. It's back. I mean, it's a 56% yeah. win rate deck right now. I mean, like yeah. no notes. It can change, and it will change. But like I, the interesting, the thing that's interesting to me, like let's let's have a quick conversation. You know, we've got like yeah, let's, make it, let's make it. Let's make it five. So. I want to have a quick. Let's make it five. Let's have a let's have a quick conversation about the One Ring because I don't know if I think the One Ring is like bannable now, and I and I hate to say this. I hate to have the conversation about banning, but like, what are your initial thoughts about the One Ring? Is it is it good enough that it's and warping enough that Watsy? You think this is the kind of thing Watsy will take action against, or do you have you already kind of noticed the metagame sort of shift back around to respond to the One Ring? And I'm I'm I'll I'll, I'll plant my flag. I'm in the second camp where I think like it is not so good that people cannot respond to it, and the metagame will not sort of adapt. But um, I'm curious to hear your initial responses to playing with and against the One Ring. Some uh, it's extremely addictive to play this card. Um, I loved playing it every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, "Oh, Ring! Yay, Ring! Okay, draw cards. Great. Uh, I can do stuff with my mana." Like it, the fact that it doesn't cost anything to activate, I think, is still a little bit surprising to me. You know that you just tap <laughs> it to draw the cards. It's not even one and tap it to draw the cards. I really enjoyed playing with the card. I have still not run into anybody that played it against me, weirdly enough. And I think I will enjoy that experience a lot less for what it's worth. But uh, maybe I have never played Karn. Maybe I need to play Karn. But uh, I really liked playing it. I really enjoyed it. I, I'm i going to save my verdict for a second. Let's see what Stan has to say. I agree. It is addictive. Really fun to cast love drawing a bunch of yeah. cards i don't know like there's this notion i think i've heard other podcasts mention of like the problem with the one ring is that once it's resolved and it's on the board that you've lost whether you scoop or not and i mean i don't know if i, I believe that entirely th but and I, right right and that's the thing that that's the part that i'm really debating on is like is it really that inevitable or not and I, I don't know, like, I don't have a strong opinion yet. I, okay. I think I agree that the card is, like, insanely strong. I think it's definitely true that um, most decks that play it are correct to play it. But I think it is also very noteworthy that, you know, a week after Four Color Omnath was, like, the scariest deck in the format, literally one week later, Scam took over. And I don't think there's enough evidence just yet that the One Ring is, like, is actually this unbeatable, homogenizing threat. But... I think we're going to see a lot of one ring Karn decks moving forward the longer both cards are legal. Like I think I think if you're going to play one, yeah. you, you might as well play both to have like a lot of consistency because they're both like so so good, especially together, especially against one another. That yeah, it, 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 if the card is good, it's only that only because it's yeah. it's free to play. <laughs> yeah. I 
usually correct? Feel like we're in a tenuous spot in the sense that, like, if this Ring of Palooza continues, where every deck is just cutting their worst four cards and putting <laughs> the one ring in, we will start to move more quickly towards a banning discussion of it, which is sort of ironic because that is like when the card will be its most expensive if it feels like everybody has to put it in every deck that they have. But there are. Uh, if it stays and becomes more of a specialist thing and it's just a really powerful thing that's indexed with Karn or makes control viable and the other decks start to feel like, you know what, I don't actually need it. Like, remember how Scam had rings for a minute and then people have kind of said, nah, we're going to take it out. We're going to concentrate on our aggressive game plan. We're not going to have the ring. Like, if that, if people start to return to reality, you know, if Rhinos doesn't run the ring anymore and all that kind of weird stuff... I think that we will return to a spot where A, the ring is okay in the metagame, and B, it probably won't get get banned at that point. But I mean this is a this is a format where like, you know, we have we have uh I can't remember the name of the card anymore. Gataxian probe banned because everybody just ran it, you know, and it's not even a crazy powerful card and it was just yeah. banned because it was in every deck. Um so I think if we get there, it's trouble for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a, extremely good. It's 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 quite possibly too good uh, at, at doing its thing. I mean, and it's not just the card draw because, like, if it just drew cards, who cares? Like, I, I mean, like, a random uh, example here is I played against like an enchantress opponent, and my enchantress opponent like had like ten cards left in deck right. when I killed them. You know what I mean? Like when I when I played Ugin and wiped their board and killed all of their enchantments and like then just i owned the game at that point so drawing cards alone is like not the end-all be-all right like you sort of need i think like the protection that the one ring involves or a good deck in which to build the shell around the card right and that's the thing the biggest thing is that it lets you take the fourth turn off like you if you cast it just run it out there you know, a lot of times when you would cast like Jace the Mind Sculptor, you would be like, oh, I better get some value off of Jace right now because Jace is going to die or I'm going to die right now and I don't have any mana to do anything else with the cards that I draw off of Jace. When you play the One Ring, you get that turn off to where you get to untap yeah. and then start casting the cards that you're drawing. That's that's the big difference for me is that it lets you run it out there in a more aggressive way more often against decks that don't have stack-based interaction. Like you, you, Obviously, you're not going to do that against a Spell Pierce, but against a deck that's clearly not doing that, like you're just going to go for it and be like, okay, take your turn, you get your turn to do whatever you want, and then I get to go and I get to untap with with three or four extra cards and all my mana, and I get to cast a bunch of stuff. And that's that's what it's it's really doing. You know, as somebody who, you know, I enjoyed playing Control. You guys enjoyed playing these decks as well, these big mana decks, because it felt like they weren't under so much pressure, as much pressure as they used to be in this metagame, where the metagame was just about, you know, tempo-based interactions, trying to make sure that you maximize the most out of every turn. Having something that lets you just go, okay, I can stop and reassert my plan, that's big. And I, I kind of, in the abstract, like having a card like that in the format, Okay. The one ring might be too good at yeah. it, though, is still the problem we're going to have. Yeah. I, th I think the, the loss of indomitable creativity, and that's, you know, of course, that's a generous statement, right? Let's just say indomitable creativity is, is maybe a, th a half or a little bit more than a half less than like as popular as it was, let's say at least in paper. That is a huge metagame shift. 
like that is a like having yeah. creativity no longer be as viable potentially um, I think is a dramatic shift to the metagame and then the rise of Omnath is another dramatic shift of the metagame. And so I think we're still sort of living in a world where this is happening and I think we're seeing responses to it. Like if you look at the tournament like stuff, there was, there were two, bur- there was a second place and a third place burn in like the f- the 14th preliminary. There's a second place and a third place burn in the 15th modern challenge. So this is just like, this is the initial stuff. Like we're going to see a world in which burn is going to get better again if people are playing like Green Tron or slower control decks exactly. or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And for what it's worth, Ari Lax actually wrote an article on Channel Fireball that's free if you want to go read it. That's about, it's kind of like what Devin and Stan and I talked about a couple of weeks ago on on the show where we were kind of like, these are ways to play against a card like the One Ring. He, I think his arguments are much more, like we were just kind of brainstorming. His arguments are very well reasoned. You know, he still is a big believer in burn. I think you're going to have more and more people who start sharing the ways that they've, they've thought about metagaming against the ring. And I feel more confident than I did a couple of weeks ago that we'll settle in a spot where the ring doesn't have to be banned but um it feels really powerful to play with still. yeah it's good so so what well, we have a modern pro tour in what like two weekends from now one more show yeah so, we have one more show before the so it's the 29th tour. and the 30th is the pro tour right so we have next right. week next yeah. week's show do some maybe final predictions, talk about the way this might be shaping up. And then we head into the Pro Tour. I can't wait for that. That's going to be great. I better clear my calendar. But I think we're good for this week, Stanislav. You good? Yeah, I'm just still deciding what I want to play at the Pro Tour. Yeah. How, how's it, <laughs> what's your testing team saying? Um, right now, my testing team is talking about whether or not the One Ring is too good. And I think we've decided that it's too soon to ban it. Yeah, but just definitely just, keep an eye on it. Just just play Roiling Vortex, Stan. Yeah, I don't know if that's the answer either. All right, well, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. And also check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. And uh, get out that pen and paper because I'm about to share some codes with you. We've got a lot of codes from our many esteemed sponsors. Mana Traders. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code thedivedown2023, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more over at Barrister and Man using the promo code thedivedownm23 for 15% off your first order. Save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order there. And our newest sponsor, Heavy Play, use promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023 to get 10% off your order from heavyplay.com on dice boxes, deck boxes, play mats, and sleeves. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and have fun playing Modern!